Is it good? The light is good? Yeah? I hear my sisters coming and, and Stefan are both coming tomorrow. I know, all, all, your, all your people. Oh, we made sure that you're not lonely. Yeah, thank you. I By the way, that. I have to look at the seating arrangement today. <sighs> what a nightmare. The uh, seating arrangement? Seating. Seating arrangements. <laughs> Sleeping arrangements would be more interesting. <laughs> I agree, I agree. That's, you didn't know about this. <laughs> Well, we've done it in New York, historically, but oh, now, the first year in LA? yeah. So we'll see. We have no idea if it'll work. And what what anniversary is this of the of I think the sixth. Sixth. Six. Wow. So um, yeah, their quest, first question was: Are there enough philosophers to give this prize to every year that are really worthy of it? Why don't we just dive right in? Okay, but hold on. Put your shoes on. <laughs> Shoes first. Keep a, let's keep a, a modicum of, of dignity here. Shoes, shoes, shoes. <laughs> before, uh, before it falls apart. I like it to... And then how... It's kind of like a Buñuel film. Because I have to do this silly, you know, plasma business. Mm -hmm. How much time do I have with you? Yeah, how much? That's what I'm asking you. I mean, the more, the happier I am. So you tell me. No, no, but what time is it now? Do you know? We're very punctual. What huh? time is it? 2.39. So we're, we're nine minutes past schedule. Hurry, speak. <laughs> okay, okay. No, maybe. Okay, what do you think? What time would you like to stop? Like, uh, huh? We'd be, we'd maybe we get tired of each other. Yeah, I doubt it, but. No, no, I'm convinced, yes. Uh, You're convinced we will get tired of each yeah, other? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Our first disagreement? <laughs> Many. <laughs> okay. No, I don't know. An hour? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, that's plenty. Yeah, that's what I, I think thought. that's plenty. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Even 45 minutes. But no, I, we, um, we're shooting, so it's all good. But um, we share a love of philosophy. This is how we met. And I think particularly of how philosophy actually applies to, to real life, right? To political issues, to how to meet, live a more meaningful life. And I've been fascinated reading about your youth and um, your initial kind of approaches to philosophy and particularly, particularly to political philosophy. And I was wondering if you might talk a little bit about your kind of rebellious youth, as I've seen it defined, and how that shaped your, uh, your philosophical thinking. Well, my, many, many questions in one question. Yeah. Um, maybe I should start with the uh, non-personal one, just an opinion. Um, you know, philosophy seems very abstract, and in theory it is, uh, but it's also very real. And philosophy, I think, allows you to um, think about life issues, important issues, the most important issues, um, in a way that's um, sort of transcends a little bit daily reality and your own reality, but then brings it back to your reality mm -hmm. and daily reality. And I think that's the beauty of philosophy. And in a world today where um, cultures are uh, really tearing um, you know, apart from each other, and where uh, within cultures there's uh, huge divisions as well, um, I think philosophy is maybe more important than ever because it allows 
again, to transcend um, the fights or the ideologies and to think about something bigger, something longer term, and uh, the implications of what's happening, meaning political actions, cultural actions, and in today's world, uh, equally uh, technology. So all of these things are so relevant and being able to look at them uh, philosophically, I think gives you a little bit of distance, gives you uh, sometimes hope, uh, and makes you maybe, hopefully, uh, a better um, spectator and better actor uh, as a human, uh, because we're all involved in uh, what's happening, not just in our own lives, but uh, beyond us. So I think philosophy um, is always maybe uh, important and maybe always useful, but I think in today's world, which is a world that's fractured and fracturing even more, I think it's more important today than maybe it was 10 years ago. So going back to the original question, um, other use, I was just a troubled use. So I, it wasn't uh, any um, of these uh, deep and important um, sort of questions of society and uh, of where the world is going. Uh, it was just my own quest for answers and for uh, what life could bring. And I just found uh, philosophers and thinkers very interesting. So I couldn't get enough of trying to understand and read. And uh, I just, uh, at that time, had the time to do it, uh, was inclined to do it. I lived in Paris, which is a place that uh, always loved thinkers and philosophers. So it was actually, uh, in some ways, quite natural, but I was just fascinated. So I was lucky to start that way, and maybe unlucky because it hasn't left me. But and, and so I understand you were interested in Sartre and in Marx. Is that correct? Yes. So uh, can you uh, speak a little bit about how they might have influenced you early on? Well, so Sartre is, you know, a uh, prominent figure uh, in what is called existentialism, which is really sort of life uh, as an existence, life as, you know, being lived, meaning your actions and uh, what you do in essence is what you are. And that still resonates with me very profoundly today. Um, I think taking a little bit of um, distance from the idea that everything is about the individual. Um, I think, luckily, I've been able to look at other um, ideas or other traditions, mostly Eastern, where uh, not everything is on your shoulders and not everything is about you, meaning it's about uh, everything around you, the community, uh, the world at large. And I think that's uh, in some ways liberating and also more humanizing. But when you're a teenager and um, you're somewhat rebellious and you are uh, very excited and very interested in ideas, it's all about who are you, what are your actions going to be, uh, how do you feel about others, 
and um, and existentialism I found just uh, and I still find um, a great way to uh, sort of look at yourself in the mirror and seeing who are you who do you want to be who can you be etc and uh, so I found it fascinating then still fascinating today Karl Marx uh, very interesting to me then because I was rebellious um, still interesting because he tried to make sense um, of things at a system level mm-hmm. uh, an entire uh, society and I think the ambition is incredible I think it's very valuable but I also think that it has uh, uh, limitations I think it's quite um, damning for humans in what way um, sort of say that we are all uh, just part of a system which we are in truth but treat us that way and um, and uh, for good and for bad uh, sort of impose um, a similar treatment to most of us so good in the sense that it may make society function better but not good in the sense that uh, it really um, takes away from um, the individual and from humanity but do you, were you when you say you were rebellious um, were you reacting to like uh, sensitivity or perceived injustice in the world I mean I learned that I heard that you didn't want to learn English because you thought it was the language of imperialism um, and I'm, I'm just wondering if that rebellion was uh, rooted in wanting to change something that you saw as wrong in the world already early on so looking around um, especially if you're curious you see that you know things could be better that there's injustice in many different ways and I felt there was injustice in many different ways and I felt um, because of it uh, the system wasn't fair wasn't working and especially when you are young and passionate um, you want everything to be right and everything to be exactly um, as it could be or should be so you become quite extreme I think with time and maybe uh, that's you know um, sort of giving in uh, in a way Uh, but with time you become more realistic and you become more accepting about what's happening in the world and um, but I think it's healthy at some point in your life to want to fight for almost everything and I wanted to fight for um, the dignity of every individual the uh, rights the um, the potential for every individual and any any one individual who would be treated uh, unfairly or who wouldn't um, uh, be at the same level as a human as others uh, I felt was an injustice and um, I think it's very noble Uh, I also think um, and therefore I think as a principle I think it's a wonderful principle but is it a way 
uh, is it a realistic way for society to function? It isn't. So the what question, isn't? Rebelling against the systems? No, or? no, no. The, the fact that every, every human um, um, you know, should be treated or can be treated in exactly the same way. I think that every individual can be respected uh, and should be given the same um, capabilities uh, as one another. But the outcomes will never be the same. So, uh, because we are different. And, uh, and we have to respect the fact that there is no perfection and uh, that uh, we will have very uh, different and uneven outcomes between us as uh, individuals. Um, what I still think today is give every person, every human, um, at least a, um, a reasonable starting point. So there should be minimums, there should be um, protections, there should be uh, a, a way forward. Right. I, I don't want to go to today yet. I want to keep like diving into your roots a little bit. Because um, so, you went from rebellious youth to being becoming very good within the system, I imagine, at functioning, not only functioning, but being highly successful within it. Um, do you, to what kind of do you give credit to that process unfolding in your life? Was it, you know, is it luck? Is it intelligence? Is it a way of gaming the system? Is it a way of taking full advantage of the system? Is the, can you talk a little bit about your ability? How did it manifest to do so well? financially and otherwise before you know before we get to this coming back to philosophy it seems like you're we're, we're you're back to where you started in some sense in the sense of like having your life be more guided by philosophy and principles but there seems to have been a, a a big detour there right that allows you to do what you do now and i'm wondering how how you entered that and how and did what philosophy did you have to kind of let go of and what did you have to embrace in order to be so successful within that so you know one of the lessons sometimes and i don't think it's a good lesson necessarily because it does not applicable to everyone but sometimes you sort of start somewhere and uh, then you go around the world searching and you realize that your original instinct or your original um uh, you know wish was maybe the right instinct so that's where i am today uh, but at that time, um, yes, I felt that the you know, system wasn't necessarily fair. But as opposed to saying, all right, I'm going to fight the system, I took almost the opposite approach. It's a little bit like if you think um, a game is not right, as opposed to saying, okay, I'm not going to play the game, uh, I felt, well, let's see if I can learn the game, understand the game, and by understanding and being in the game, maybe I'll have a, um, not only a better sense of the game, but then I can help the game or make potentially the game or the experience better. And that's the approach I took. So as opposed to saying, all right, I am not happy with reality. Let's actually plunge into the water, learn how it works, um, 
learn from it and um, by being in the system maybe ultimately I can um, you know reform or help think through uh, new ideas um, about the system and um, it's a really strange way of doing things in some ways it makes no sense because if you have uh, something that you'd like to address why not just address it uh, and in some ways I regret that I didn't because it would have been a different career and would have been maybe a better and more interesting career uh, I made the choice of um, trying to understand and learn and embrace what I was skeptical about to understand it better and to deal with it as opposed to not and um, doing it today meaning sort of taking a step back and trying to um, have an effect hopefully on what I was interested in on the system itself um, by being in a position like this today I think is helpful on the other hand um, maybe all these decades that I spent in the system would have been better spent um, uh, trying to think about the system and trying to see if there would be ideas to make the system um, a better system. But um, I, I'd love for you to dig a little deeper into what allowed you to have the system worked so much to your advantage. Do you think that's luck? Do you think it's a certain position that you were born into? Do you think it's, uh, do you th I mean, I guess fundamentally, do you believe that you were uh, within, a, there was some sort of meritocracy in place that allowed you to get to where you were? Um, well, I think that in this case, um, what I did, I was uh, interested in the world of ideas. I wanted to become a writer. I wanted to change the world. And then I decided, okay, um, uh, let's deal with the real world first. And the real world, in this case for me, was simply um, uh, I became a, um, uh, a participant in the world of um, investments and finance sort of became like a gnome you know <laughs> in the system and uh, I didn't think it was very difficult or very complicated um, I just thought that it's a little bit like I mean I compared it to a game once you learn the game um, if you spend uh, at least I felt that way little bit of time uh, at it um, you could get reasonably good at it it didn't require that much uh, brilliance I think it requires much more um, uh, discipline uh, more imagination to be a great writer to be a great philosopher to be an investor is um, almost like being a reasonable processor um, but it doesn't require, or I didn't feel, required that much skill. Did it require, does it require like moral compromise? 
I mean, there's a lot of kind of vilification of people who have made a lot of money, and I'm curious from within whether it felt like you had to kind of sacrifice a lot of or any ideals is it a zero-sum game where like you feel like you're winning at the expense of other people or do you feel like it's like again taking advantage of the system in a way that is you know builds wealth well once you um, you know in a game or play the game you play by the rules of the game and no game is perfect and I would say almost the opposite. Most games are imperfect and the rules are not necessarily right or fair. And uh, there's no question, once you are playing the game, you compromise, no question. And uh, that's part of entering a game, being a player in the game, because you have to accept the rules. And uh, it's competitive. And if you want to stay in the game, you've got to uh, you know, defend yourself um, and uh, play within the game. So I would say, uh, yes, uh, you do compromise. And uh, and I think anything in life, has a lot has, when you become a participant in any game of society, and in my case it was investments, but it could have been a different game or different aspect of society, well, you accept the rules. You're part of that game. Um, is it entirely fair? Is it just? Definitely not. And we're, I mean, so like, it's just interesting to, you know, hear about your roots in, you know, a philosophy that's very much interested in like addressing inequality um, and then finding yourself, you know, in a, world in which that inequality is most manifest in a way if that makes sense and i'm just wondering like what that felt like as you were doing so well in the game you know like were that did that kind of did those roots in that philosophy continue to kind of die did you continue a dialogue with it in your own mind even or did you just decide to set that aside in order to keep succeeding at the game well, it's a total paradox, and I think that um, when you, uh, in my case, when I shifted from very idealistic to, let's say, realistic, mm -hmm. uh, I no doubt made a compromise and shifted gears, and in some ways, uh, and today, regret regrettably, uh, to some extent, I put, you know, part of my life and my soul aside. Um, but I also gained a lot. What I gained is experience. I gained uh, an understanding, I think, of the world, the way it functions, and of cultures. So what I gained, I think, at the end is, I hope, helpful in addressing the first questions. For example, uh, you mentioned you know, inequality. If I was just an observer from the outside, um, I would have maybe thought of how to deal with inequality in too simple a way, which is, all right, uh, deal with inequality by, um, you know, giving everybody or forcing the system to give everyone uh, a fair share of everything. Uh, how do you do it? You 
redistribute. You take from the ones who have and give to the ones who have less. Well, that's the normal way of doing things. That's taxes. Uh, it's reasonably uh, effective and fair, but uh, my feeling is there are better ways of doing it. And part of what uh, we do at the Institute is think about these things. So we have this idea of pre-distribution as opposed to redistribution. Pre-distribution, did you say? Yes. Okay. And the idea of pre-distribution is to give everybody a stake in uh, the economic pie from the beginning. And today, I think there are ways of doing it. We call it universal basic capital. But mm -hmm. you could, uh, in essence, society, especially rich societies that are very productive, like the US or like California, can um, allow uh, uh, new wealth or the creation of wealth uh, to be uh, shared uh, from the beginning. So you could set aside um, a share of all the productivity. In this case, it's um, uh, talent uh, married with capital. So new companies, for example, you could take a share of all new companies and put them, uh, contribute them to a sovereign wealth fund for all citizens, in the case of the US or in the case of California, uh, without hurting the productivity of the enterprises, but making everyone a beneficiary of the uh, economic uh, development and empower everyone economically as individuals. So there's a way of doing it, uh, which actually makes everybody a capitalist, even though the idea is a socialist idea. So you can marry different concepts. And I would have never thought about these things from the outside. By being inside the system, you, I think, understand it better and you can come up with more creative ways to actually uh, build something that is going to be useful. Because being an idealist is wonderful, but that's all you are. You're an idealist. And, um, and life it has to be grounded also for most people uh, in reality. But there aren't just idealists. There's also people who fight for social justice in a very, like, uh, hands-on way you seem to be like pitting like idealism versus the realism and the realism has to be within like the system and the idealists are the ones who are thinking about well, how things could be but I'm sure there are a lot of people who are fighting for what could be in very real ways right and I think and I think that's important and healthy and the question is where, how do they get there? If they get there simply from a wish or a, um, an instinct, uh, that's fine. But I think they're going to be more valuable if they get there from experience, from having lived. And I think then their contribution is going to be uh, more meaningful, more real, um, more valuable. And so if you're fighting for uh, social justice, let's say, mm -hmm. um, you do it because you've thought about it, you've come up with experiences that make your fight legitimate. Um, or is it just a wish? So I think that 
having had um, the experience of why, I think has value. And uh, therefore, I think the experience um, of having lived through certain things is um, useful. Yeah. Even in social justice. Um, but I think it's so important that, yes, uh, people fight for it. But I think that um, it's better if you fight for it, if you have um, the experience of having helped you understand what you're fighting for, mm -hmm. how you're fighting for it. Because fighting sometimes, just for the sake of fighting, is actually uh, destructive as opposed to constructive. Yeah. And when I was uh, an idealist and maybe ready to become a, um, um, you know, a fighter, uh, an activist in some ways, uh, I'm not sure I would have been constructive. It, it, you know, there's a fine line between uh, an activist and an anarchist. Uh, and an anarchist is a beautiful thing in theory. Uh, it's sort of an idealistic way of sort of being in some ways, but it's very destructive. Um, so the question is, how can you be uh, a social justice fighter or how can you be an activist in a way that's constructive? Yeah. So before we get to what you're doing and for in that regard, uh, I'd love to just follow your trajectory a little bit more because I, I, I understand that, you know, having attained all this financial success, you found that it wasn't too gratifying in some level, right? I, I, I understand, you know, most people accumulate wealth and then want to buy many, you know, material possessions and have real estate and yachts and um, you were known as the homeless billionaire traveling around, always living in hotels. Like, what was your, what, what realizations did you have uh, about what you could and couldn't do with this, uh, in this kind of jet set world of having a lot of money? In what ways was it, was it what it's cracked up to be? In what ways was it uh, uh, disillusioning? In what ways did it, what made you realize eventually that, um, you'd had enough and it was time to do new things? Well, um, as I said, I sort of felt that the, the game I was involved in, which was the game of, of investments, really is a game. And that's all it is. But if you begin to equate that with, um, well, happiness or a way of life, uh, then you're confusing things. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, if you're going to be um, good at playing chess or good at playing any game, you have to realize the game is a game. Your life is different. It's not the game. Uh, maybe you're very close to it, and but it shouldn't overwhelm you. It's you and the game. And um, so even though I may have been successful uh, financially, uh, that shouldn't mean that I've got to live in a certain way. And frankly, I felt that a lot of the things that come with financial success 
which are material goods or so, um, were more of a, actually a burden, a responsibility, uh, as opposed to um, the opposite, uh, freedom uh, that comes with uh, uh, financial strength is nice, uh, up to a level. After a certain level, it actually becomes a responsibility and a burden. Uh, so the opposite of freedom, you become a slave to what you've created, you actually become a slave uh, to the material goods, including money, as opposed to being, uh, um, you know, its master. Yeah. So I felt it could reverse. I had I have a friend who had similar trajectory to yours, and what he said that what happens when you're in that world and in that game is also just that the dynamic that most uh, is most salient in your interactions is all about domination, and that he found himself always like thinking in terms of 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 dominating others, even in the most basic human level, and that he found that so. Um, kind of soul-destroying after a while that he had to leave it as well. Um, did you, obviously not everybody comes to the same conclusions as you, like, do you think people who get just kind of caught up in it and are not able to take this outside more philosophical perspective on it, that it, it that it's uh, bad for their spirits in a way like I, I i've often joked that we should maybe have uh, argue for uh, fight for uh, more uh, equality in uh, financial equality also to help the people who have more because like it's it's they seem so unhappy a lot of the time it seems like they're uh, once you're de once you're defined by your wealth once you start seeing everybody as possibly there to take advantage of it in some way it it's it's almost seems like as unhealthy for the people who have it as it is for the people who, who don't like the, the system itself is just not good for the for the soul for lack of a better word i think no question um i go back to the uh, analogy of the game uh, you become possessed by the game you're in the game you can't get out and uh, so your entire life is about uh, the game winning and um uh, so your your life becomes pretty narrow, mm -hmm. and um, life is way beyond just a game. And here you are in uh, a game that you think you're defined by, uh, but that's not you. Now, there are positive aspects to this because so many people participate in this game, and because it's part of a system, and it's been quite productive. It's enabled a lot of development is enabled for a lot of uh, frankly economic empowerment uh, way beyond the people who are skillful uh, at the game so it's been a benefit i think to society so the collateral that so many people involved in this game means that um, it's created a lot of good and a lot of ungood also uh, for, for people but over time i think it's been beneficial but for the participants themselves, um, as you say, many of the participants become prisoners or this is their life. And I think it's limited. Was there something that happened in your life that made you have that realization or was it there all along? Did you have a plan to leave and start the, the Institute like early on or was there a kind of a, 
aha moment or something that happened, some instigating event that made you think like, I can't do this anymore? Well, I think it happened sort of gradually. There was not a big plan. And uh, I think I'd be a lot prouder if I had, you know, a big grand plan and I got to it. No, I think that um, after a while, I became, frankly, less interested in the game and uh, got back to what I was really uh, passionate about, which is philosophy and politics. So I give a lot of credit to spending time in Los Angeles, which is more open. Uh, in every way possible, physical and mental. Um, and I spent time with some professors at UC UCLA and USC, philosophy and politics. I learned from them and I got back into this. And uh, it gave me, uh, frankly, uh, more uh, satisfaction, more. Uh, and things came out of that, including the Institute. So I don't think there was any grand plan. Uh, I also. Uh, after the 2008 uh, financial crisis, uh, saw how um, obviously uh, things are so relative and potentially so arbitrary, and the system obviously is much bigger than you, and uh, things can be here one day and they can be gone another day, so it's a good lesson, don't be attached to things, uh, because um, you know, they're beyond you. Uh, the things you should be attached to are things that um, emotionally really matter, which are obviously relationships, but also the things you care about. Uh, these are the things you think about, the things that um, um, you can have an interaction with uh, on a daily basis. That's why people are so interested in sort of occupations or in beauty, because those things uh, are things you can touch and you can be in relation with. So anything that's relational is wonderful. Uh, I think that uh, when you're involved in things like a financial game, um, they become actually quite abstract. Yeah, and and and. What do you think of, so then you found yourself in the position to be able to allocate resources in a way that corresponded to your passions in, uh, in philosophy and politics. Um, there, there seems, there's a beauty to that and the effectiveness of one individual being able to like follow their, you know, their passion and in allocating resources in this way versus the kind of weight and slow and ineffective use of like government money let's say but there's also seems to be a certain like arbitrariness to it you know like I, I saw a kind of sarcastic tweet the other day that said oh, free speech is so important I hope that Elon Musk will give it back to us now by, by buying Twitter and it seemed like you know there's this kind of we on the one hand, it's 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 beautiful that somebody can follow their passion and and follow whether it's you know the open philanthropy. I mean, um, uh, uh, effective altruism of you know then the giving pledge and all of these things that, that you know there seems to be a, a, an effectiveness to just being able to say okay this is what we want to do this is what we're going to prioritize, but there's also seems to be uh, it seems to be fragile to be at the whims of a few individuals and what their passions happen to be 
you happen to have great roots and something that's interesting and and uh, and meaningful, but someone else could end up having been just as good at the game and have very uh, you know much more arbitrary or frivolous ends. And so, systematically, is it is it sustainable to be to have kind of private wealth affecting change versus like government doing it or in larger institutions that have more participants in it, let's say. And, and did this question kind of occur to you as you're trying to form the Institute? So I think that it's definitely a big risk that, um, you know, individuals have an enormous amount of uh, power and uh, effect, including indirect consequences uh, on our lives, especially um, in the West, especially in sort of um, capitalistic environments, which are pretty much everywhere. And the question is, where are we? And uh, I think maybe 50 years ago, there was much more power with uh, politicians, governments, institutions, media, uh, artists, philosophers, um, public intellectuals. And I think today, uh, things have shifted, depends on the country, but especially in the US, uh, things have shifted where real power today is actually with the private sector, much more than with government. I mean, look at the contrast between, let's say, China and the U.S. In China, Xi Jinping was able to shut up Jack Ma, Alibaba. And here, uh, the opposite uh, uh, social media was able to shut, shut up, up Donald Trump, yeah. so the president. So you've got, uh, you know, an environment where, um, let's say, private enterprise, uh, in this case, a narrow set of what's pri private enterprise, mostly around um, new technologies, uh, has incredible power today. And um, it's exciting, but also very dangerous, because as you say, uh, some of these people uh, have good ideas and some may not have good ideas. And uh, I think we are always, one way or another, in um, the hands of a few individuals and their ideas. That's why I go back to ideas are very important. Uh, the context is very important because society at the end um, will uh, reflect and um, embody really, uh, you know, the ideas of a few people, almost like vessels. So it's not like the people shape people or shape society entirely. It's also that society wants to be shaped by them. It's a two-way street. So we've got to think of that. So we're in a very an interesting environment today, especially in the US, where there's less trust in sort of a grand design or um, the state. Uh, and everybody's looking for answers around individuals um, which you know makes it much harder for society to come together and for people to build a future 
and to believe in what a future might really be. So we're much more in at the mercy of um, a few individuals. It's the state we're in, and it's an unusual state. And I kind of want to keep pressing. Do you find that you found that you are in this position because um, I'm, I'm very curious, like psychologically, whether you find it um, um, uh, luck or is it a, a responsibility that's been given to you because of see how can I how can I put this. Um, I, I'm very curious philosophically about, you know, like contingency versus necessity, let's say, and whether you find yourself, oh my God, I happen to be in this position to be able to do the, all of these things, I better make the best of it, or um, are you grateful to the system that gave you this opportunity and you find yourself less because of that less likely to want to kind of upset it too much or because that's the, I feel like that might be the risk of playing the game for a long time is that then you you end up consciously or unconsciously thinking that it's must be great the system who's like given you such a leg up on things you know what I mean like um, well so there's no question um, I've been lucky in thousand ways um, then the question is what do you do with your luck right going back to you know a game it's like you have a set of cards that were given to you at the beginning what do you do with that set of cards and things are very dynamic so it's not so you get a set of cards let's say they're good cards and I was lucky I got good cards then you play the game and during the game you're going to get lucky or unlucky other players will be good not good you will be yeah. good not good so it's it's a very dynamic uh, environment and therefore um, you start with something you are lucky and then the real question is what do you do with it yeah and in my case um, being in the game you're corrupted by the game there's no question and um, and to take some distance and to take independence from it becomes harder and harder but at some point uh, that's also if you're lucky and maybe a little bit courageous you take uh, the attitude that um, yes you should you know take some distance go outside and see if uh, there's more you can do than just play the game and uh, in my case uh, that's where I'm at it's just you know my um, life journey there's no question that uh, I've benefited from the game um, and therefore do I want to destroy the game no uh, am I corrupted by the game to some extent do you think there should be billionaires I guess is what I'm asking in a nutshell like is it a net positive for the world to have a few people controlling a disproportionate amount of wealth in that way being in that position yourself i'm very just curious if like do you think there's enough people like you to like be a net positive to the world or is the system that gives rise to that possibility just 
are too corrupt. I think it's a byproduct of the system. So the question is, how do you change the system? How do you make the system um, such that that byproduct uh, doesn't exist? But it's just a byproduct. And I think that it's byproduct that exists today. There were other byproducts, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. But uh, uh, capitalism uh, empowers certain individuals uh, more than others and uh, benefits some individuals more than others. At the same time, it does uh, allow a lot of people to participate in the economic uh, uh, development. Is it perfect? Definitely not. Uh, did it, does it need to be uh, tweaked? Yes. Should the expression be simply um, you know, money? Um, I think it's limited. Uh, and I think we can do better. And I think that uh, potentially we will do better. Today, uh, the reward uh, is too connected to money. The reward in the past was connected a little bit more to uh, things like uh, knowledge or prestige. Uh, these things are less important these days. Uh, money has become um, maybe too uh, prominent. So yes, the system uh, needs to be uh, fine-tuned, recalibrated, changed, uh, and there may be updates or there may be, in theory, different systems. Uh, we're not there yet. So today, do you uh, say, all right, we're going to um, sort of punish or eliminate certain s symptoms of the system and that's going to resolve the issue with the system? I don't think so. So even though if billionaires are a symptom, I mean a symptom of uh, what the system produces, well, it's just a symptom. Uh, if you want to really make a change, you've got to look at the system. It's like um, anything good or bad. Uh, uh, the symptoms themselves are not the system itself. And can we talk a little bit about what we're doing tomorrow night and how you're helping philosophers and by giving a prize, right, which is a financial prize, um, but also obviously by uplifting their work. Um, let's just step into the current moment for a moment and see, and, and tell me a little bit about what led up to this right now that's happening tomorrow, why? Um, as we were asking right before we started, are there enough philosophers out there that deserve this uh, type of reward that can actually help the world in, in a way that's meaningful and can you just talk a little bit about what led to this moment? Well, going back to what we started, as you say, um, I sort of feel that um, philosophy can help us in many ways. Uh, and philosophy in a, in a broad sense, meaning um, it can include religion, it can include um, sort of thinking, even cultural thinking, uh, so not strictly you know, academic philosophy, so philosophy yeah. in a broad sense, uh, as, you know, thinking about life and how to live and how to be um, as a person, you know, with regards to others and oneself. So I just feel that in an environment that's uh, culturally and politically um, uh, so fractured and, fractu and fracturing, and an environment where technologies are empowering uh, us as humans, but also individuals more and more, and 
frankly, the technological agents uh, uh, themselves. Uh, you know, AIs are agents and are going to become more and more powerful agents uh, themselves. Philosophy uh, and having a philosophy for the technologies, a philosophy for how we deal with uh, each other, uh, how we deal with um, uh, opposing cultures, opposing ideologies, is incredibly important. And I've always felt that way from the beginning, still feel that way. And if we think about who we are today, we're still shaped by thinkers um, that existed thousands of years ago. So in the West, we're still shaped by Socrates and uh, Jesus Christ and philosophers like um, well, Sartre, Nietzsche, uh, or Marx. And in the East, uh, Lao Tzu, Confucius, and others uh, have shaped, or the Buddha, have shaped um, the lives and the thinking of other cultures. So these people are still the people who have more influence than anything else in terms of how we think and how we live. And our wisdom is probably not that different uh, than the wisdom that was shaped then. So to me, going back to the kinds of questions that have made our cultures is key. And we continue to, we ho I hope, evolve our thinking and our cultures and having wisdom for our technologies, who we are, what we can do, I think is essential. So my feeling is that trying to give dignity and giving um, value uh, the same way as, let's say, a Nobel Prize gives value to economics or peace or literature um, should be done for philosophy because philosophy is really the um, you know the world of who we are the world of the idea of who we are and that's why we created this philosophy prize we started it uh, six years ago uh, and uh, the idea is to elevate philosophy and to reward in this case through a price which is a very uh, mercantile way of expressing uh, respect uh, but it seems to be an effective one hopefully uh, if we can elevate uh, philosophy the same way as other disciplines uh, are valued um, I felt it's at least a signal a personal signal but also a signal um, uh, that ideas have value and are important. And who's getting the prize tomorrow? So Peter Singer, who's an Australian uh, philosopher who thinks a lot about uh, empowering people, about um, the humanity of our actions and the, what our actions mean. Uh, but he goes beyond humans. He is very interested also in um, uh, the respect uh, we should give, at least in his mind, to other species, including animals. Uh, so he has a very broad sense of what constitutes um, uh, agents that are worth uh, respect. And looking forward in the next like five, ten years of what you would like to achieve personally and with the Institute? 
big well, picture goals? Well, the Institute is trying to work on issues that are difficult, uh, like democracy or capitalism or geopolitics, which is mainly the relations between the West and China. And frankly, who, who are we becoming as humans with technologies that allow us in some ways to play God? Uh, so these are the questions we have. And can we contribute to that? Can we come up with uh, good ideas, better ideas? Can we enable them? Because it's not us. Uh, it's really enabling others uh, uh, in, in thinking the, these things through. Hopefully, we help there. I think um, the, my own feeling is that we are going through a difficult period, the world is, and, um, uh, but things always go in waves, and uh, we hopefully will come out healthier and stronger on the other side. So if we can contribute in the um, process of coming up or making or, or helping answer some of the difficult questions we face today and a way to uh, shape sort of our future. If we can help in doing that, then that'd be quite wonderful. Uh, if we can enable uh, courageous and, and um, you know, thinking that contributes to something better and, and fresh, um, I'd be very happy. Um, the, the, when I met you, the, I was very flattered you wanted to see my film being in the world. That's how we met a few months ago. And um, the reason I kind of wanted to have this conversation is I, I saw this kind of um, youthful curiosity in you. And I find that this is always in the most admirable and successful people I've met. There's never a sense like, I already know everything. There's like a, a genuine desire to continue to learn and um and and you said to me as we were like after the film like that you you felt like there was still a little bit of that childhood rebel rebel in you and i've heard you say that you're like a revolutionary still in your heart um do you find yourself now do you think that there's room for that kind of more revolutionary way of affecting change? Is it possible or is it just an ideal? Or do you think that um, we're much better focused on incremental, uh, gradual change that can be done without upsetting the system too much? I think you, I think you always need a revolution. And uh, I think the spirit of, of uh, of trying to find, you know, the sort of the spirit of being an explorer, the, the spirit of being um, sort of in search, I think is what makes us and has helped us uh, discover and, uh, you know, given us joys and, and extraordinary experiences, but no question at a high cost at times. And the, the cost at times is uh, yes, we break things, and incremental change is, um, on average, uh, you know, healthier for most people and for society. But to really advance, you have to sometimes, uh, you know, uh, you know, make some changes that are uncomfortable. And unless you 
doesn't mean you want to implement and only live that way. Definitely not. But at times, you've got to be courageous. You've got to come up with things that are really change because change is really life, and change is the only way we create um, a future. And by not changing, we will die. By changing, we might have uh, a better future or a future at all. And and if let's say you know, I mean, there's this last question. Maybe the, 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 I think it's still going. Let me make Did sure. I do something. No, it's just, it just um, rests a second, but it still records. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it still records. Okay. Um, I thought, you know, I th thought you, your monitor didn't like us anymore. <laughs> um, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of, I think, uh, righteous uh, indignation to put it mildly, about the kind of greater and greater inequality that exists in our culture. Um, there's, you know, the, 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 the gap in, in, in wealth is getting bigger and bigger. There, I can imagine things getting to a point where people are just not okay with it anymore at all. Um, would you be uh, on the side of the revolutionaries who decided that it was, uh, the whole system's gotta be undone and maybe start from scratch, or do you uh, do you, and do you worry at all that there's might be like the anger from underneath might bubble up to a, such a point that's going to be like not uh, it, that people will no longer be okay with incremental change. Well, that I think is a, is a very good question. And going back to revolutions and change, I think that what happens unfortunately is that sometimes things get to a point where they need to change and you do get a revolution. But normally, you, what happens during the revolution doesn't create the, um, the right change. Um, the revolution very often is just a revolution, right. breaking the old, right. but it very often doesn't have solutions and people do suffer. You, so the revolutions themselves are quite toxic. You also need a solution. You yeah. also need ideas. And in that sense, that's what we're working on. So just breaking things for the sake of it doesn't help anyone. Uh, very often you need to break things to get somewhere new, but you also want to get somewhere new. And right. we're focusing not on the breaking, but on the uh, what could the new look like. And economics is only one aspect to where we are. Uh, it's an expression of where we are, but it's not the only expression. Very good. I think that's a, a really nice place to stop. Unless I think, well, very good questions. I can't, you know, uh, <laughs> and I like that you, you know, pushed it a little. Okay, so. good. <laughs> Thank you very much no, for, for this. Ciao. <laughs> Grazie. Yes, I think we can stop that.